755 is real is brought to you by Game Time, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Game Time tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the Game Time app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. Checking out is a breeze on the Game Time app. Once you've pinpointed seats you want, simply click the listing and check out. It's that simple. Use the Game Time two-step checkout next time you're looking for great deals on tickets. So head to the App Store or Play Store now to download Game Time and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. Seven fifty-five is real with David O'Brien and Eric O'Flaherty. Hey, seven fifty-five is real. Welcome back to the show. I'm David O'Brien, Braves writer for the Athletic. I'm with Eric O'Flaherty, who is going beyond the call of duty by doing another podcast show from Hawaii from his extended family vacation. And Eric, what's up, man? It is early out there as we record. Yeah. Yeah, I'm uh, just waking up. I'm, I'm You're ready acknowledging to that it is early, right? <laughs> yeah, it's still dark out. Are you in Maui? Yeah. Wowie. Cool. Well, get to it, man. Chug some coffee. We're going. We're rolling. I'm I here some. at the general manager's meetings in uh, Phoenix. And, man, there were some interesting conversations uh, bouncing around here on day one, the first full day yesterday. And I'm sure you probably kept up a little bit with this at night when you got back and your kid went to bed or something. But the first thing I wanted to ask you about, because I think you had some uh, you had some feelings about thoughts about this. The fact that it's being mentioned that one or more of these three guys could be traded this year. Uh, Lindor from the Indians. Mookie Betts from the Red Sox. Francisco Lindor, that is. Or Chris Bryant or other core guys from the Cubs. What, I mean, this is going around the GM meetings and it sounds like it's legit that one or more of those guys could be traded. What does it say about where we are that those teams would even consider trading those kind of guys? Uh, two of them would have two years of control left, uh, Bryant and Lindor, and Betts has one year before uh, free agency. It just tells me we got killed in the collective bargaining agreement. <laughs> you know, um, that's that's really all I see from it. Uh-huh. Uh, and, you know, it's it's baseball is a business. And a, as players, we all stood by and kind of just, you know, I'll tell you what, the old older players used to come to spring training every year and they were almost angry with us the way they talked uh-huh. to us. They they continue to to mention how hard they fought to get things the way they were. And they'd say it right. over and over like a guy like Dave Winfield would be talking to us and, and guys would kind of have this attitude like, why are they so mad, man? You know, what's, yeah. Why are these guys so yeah. fired up about this? But it's cause we, we were sitting there and we had it so good, you know, right. we didn't really understand um, how easily we could lose a lot of leverage. And, right. and that's just what, what's going on in the game now shows me is that that last, um, that last collective bargain agreement, when we pretty much agreed to a salary cap, you know, it's it's a luxury tax, but it's a salary cap. You know, I don't mm-hmm. I don't care what the term is. Every team's yep. using it as yep. one. Um, they got us, and and now um, a team can have a guy like Mookie Betts and talk about possibly trading him. And I don't know, our Red Sox fans burning 
burning the streets or they will be if they trade to. that guy. Yeah. So, but to even be able to say that out loud is kind of ridiculous. A, a player yeah. of that caliber. The same with Lindor. You know, these guys are they're generational players that you should try to keep in your organization for life. But with this luxury tax and teams, you know, I, I don't, I don't think they don't have the money to pay the guys. I know they have the money to pay the guys, but um, it's kind of, it's kind of a way out of, of from paying these guys, and and you can just keep pointing to that that luxury tax. And you know what? We gave them that leverage. We gave them that out to to be able to play that. So it's it's and crazy, I, I, man. I I and, can't believe it. And in the Indians' case, they're not even close to the luxury tax. But you know they're middle no. market team revenue wise. So I mean, you, if anything, you could justify it in their case because they're not one of these Maybe. teams that's just rolling in dough. But they're making money, and like you said, he's a generational type player, and he's like the face of a franchise. I mean, this is a guy that you know everybody loves. The kids love. He's like Mister Energy and all this shit. And and he's got uh, he's making you know he's an affordable guy for a superstar. He's not making thirty million. He's making, you know, he's going to make like seventeen in arbitration this year, uh, and and this and the Indians were a contender last year to the wire. So, yeah, that's a, a Chris Bryant. I think the Cubs might be looking at it as they got a new manager and it hasn't worked. You know, the last couple of years have been kind of disappointing there, and they've said that they're they're willing to trade from their core this year. All those core guys that they built around, they're willing to trade one or two of them. So. Man, you talk about a guy that got – he got hosed, you know, the first time when they called him up, when they timed his call up so that they would have this extra year of control. So how about the irony or whatever that uh, they could end up training him with two years left when they specifically brought him up in order to have <laughs> that extra year of control? Now, that's another thing I think will be addressed when it comes time to, to negotiate yeah. again. It has to be. But, uh, yeah, you know, it's just uh, – it just – it just kind of shows you, you know, that that the thing for me is that these guys aren't bad character guys. You know, you're not trading yeah, none of Dennis them. Rodman or somebody you don't want yeah, to deal with, somebody high Albert maintenance. Albert Bell from the Indians, something like that. Right. Yeah. yeah you're not trading somebody that um, these guys all seem like great guys that you want to put up mm -hmm. front in, in front of your franchise and put on the billboards and everything. Um, but same with Bryant. Bryant seems like a great guy, and and then you talk about that that move uh, to keep that extra day of service that's that's going to be something that teams are going to have to i i would think that's going to be a big point in negotiations for teams to mm -hmm. not be able to do that anymore the union's going to want to put a stop to that but i don't know man i i think it's going to get really interesting because these are all the things that that continually get brought up and you continue to see that um obviously the union is extremely unhappy with and we'll see how they can fix it and get some leverage back but they're they're behind the eight ball right now yeah at the cba will be up in a couple of years um and I know this is a topic that most fans, you know, they're going to kind of roll their eyes because it's changed a lot in this country. And there's with the decline of unions, and to me, it's unfortunate the decline of unions. And the, there's so fewer, such a low percentage now of fans that belong to unions because it meant something. That was the backbone of this country, and we don't need to get off into that topic. But the players' union was often called the most, the strongest uh, labor union in the world. I mean, you guys wielded right. the hammer, and that was because they had some shrewd, tough negotiators for decades that got it to that, and the players were tough. And you're, you're right, man. I can see why the old guys would come and kind of shake their heads at you guys because the current group of players has never been adamant or militant or anything like that, and they kind of let it slide. And what, I think it began from the top when you went from having the Marvin Millers and the Wieners 
you know, when Wiener was the, the you had attorneys who were the union rep. Right. Or the union leader, I should say. And now you got a former player in it, Tony Clark. And I think he's just, I don't think he's done a very good job at all of, uh, of uh, and filling the shoes and considerable shoes of the people that his predecessors in that role. Right. He's not off to a good start, but you know, the, that's going to be a big test problem though. You're right. Yeah. It's going to be a, it's going to be a big test, um, for all the players and everything. And the, the sad thing is if they do have to strike or whatever, um, it's all going to fall on the players they are going to be greedy and want more money oh, and yeah. everything. And, and not that goes back to just but on the millionaires. No, no, the millionaires are greedy, not the billionaires. And that, that's just going to be the way it's spun regardless. But, uh, you know, Michael Weiner, the guy that used to run the, um, players union, he come to spring training and this guy was just, he was so much smarter than the rest of us, man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I could listen to him talk, and he could talk with no piece of paper, you yeah. know, no nothing written out, and he would cover every single point in depth of what the union was up to and doing. And yeah. he would sit there for an hour and a half and not even, you know, have to take a breath or a drink of water. This guy would put a presentation on. Our jobs would just be on the floor. You know, some guys it yeah. was kind of long and boring for them, but for me, I just sit there like, man, this is – I feel pretty good about whose hands we're in now, but he wound up getting sick and, and, you know, couldn't, couldn't continue yeah. to do it. And we had to fill those shoes and um, we'll see, we'll see how it goes. But I, I think that's another tough aspect of it is that whatever the action, the players wind up taking is it's going to look really bad on the players and, and be spun as them being pretty greedy, but you know, yeah. baseball's a business. Because you know what they're going to do? They're going to throw out that average salary because yeah. the, the, the superstars have, have been, have done fine. They're still getting right. paid. They're still getting these big contracts. I mean, they're, they've never been better than it is for those guys. It's the rank-and-file guys and the guys that are being drummed out of the game a few years earlier than they used to be because their salaries yep. get to a certain point and their performances and what – you know what I mean? It's it's the rank-and-file guys that are paying a price for this, for the union becoming weaker. Yeah, and, and even – I even think that this thing going on with with Mookie Betts getting threatened to be traded or whatever is also a yeah. way to try to get him to sign yeah. Yeah. Um, a lesser contract, you know, an extension and whatnot. Because guys don't want to get traded. They want to, especially if you're playing for the Red Sox, you won a World Series there. You know, you're getting that you're a king in that city uh, if you're yeah. Mookie Betts. So he's not going to want to get traded. I think a lot of it's kind of just posturing and, and trying to get them to take a lesser deal or even be able to throw in a no a no trade clause to his extension. You know, it's just let him uh-huh. feel that feeling uh-huh. of possibly being traded and having some uncertainty in the offseason. But on the other side of it, maybe they really are going to trade him. You know, I don't I don't know. And it's a lot easier for teams to do it now because we've gotten past that era where a player would stay. It was it was almost expected for a long time that a player would stay with one team for his whole career. The superstar, generational type players would, and now it's like there are very few guys left that are even have a chance of doing that. You know, your King Felixes, Chipper Jones was the last superstar position guy to do it for you know a long, long career. And I don't know if it's going to ever happen again now. And 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 I think it's real easy for teams to even trot that out there, whereas. There was a time where if the Braves would have even even hinted that they might trade Chipper Jones because he's getting too expensive or they don't know if they can afford to re-sign Chipper Jones, it would have been – people would have been up in arms, man. It was – you know, that would have been – you just didn't do that. I think Freddie might be one of the last guys to do it. Uh, and he's the yeah. type of guy that will take a discount to stay there. Right, and, right. You know, stay it's, some it, reasonable players, and not top dollar. Right. Players get, you know, really praised for taking these discounts. And 
I was the same type of player. I would have taken a discount to stay in Atlanta. Um, yeah, obviously, you know, through my years. But when it's a hundred million, uh, it's it, you're doing you're doing all the other players a disservice, and that's that's kind of what this right. boils down to. Is right, uh, you know, Mookie Betts might not be greedy, right? He he might be say he might he might tell his agent, "Shit, I'll stay in Boston for another ten years for a hundred million, which yeah. would be a deal for everybody but him." But then the next guy that comes up and he's a similar player to Mookie Betts, the yeah. teams can point to that and say Mookie took ten years, a hundred, and it's it's not even necessarily that this guy needs to be flying in private jets or wants to buy, you know, twelve houses or he's just super greedy. It's he's right. doing it for other guys too, and you have to set that bar. Um, each contract kind of affects the next one, so uh, yeah, that's just kind of teams do the same thing. You know, every time a team gets a guy signed to a certain right. deal, right. other teams can look and compare that. It's just a battle, you know, and it's it's. Obviously, there's plenty of greed when hundreds of millions are going around, but it's not just on the player side. Well, um, you know, I'll bring this up because this could be pertinent to the Braves, these uh, these trade rumors, because obviously everybody knows what they have needs, and one of those is third base, uh, as Josh Donaldson matter kind of hangs out there. Uh, we don't know if the Braves are going to be able to afford, or are going to be willing to, to uh, uh, re-sign him for what he, for the, what he's going to command. We got to wait and see. It could be any time now, but I, I, I have a feeling it's going to be a little, you know, deep into the, uh, uh, at least a month or so into the off season. Maybe that changes, and I get surprised. But his agent, you know, is going to shop him around and see what kind of offers are out there because this is his last big contract at age 33 you know this is it for him yeah. so he's not going to jump on the first offer the Braves make and say because I loved it here and you know, he spent one year here he doesn't have deep ties to it so I know he'd like to stay there but they're doing their due diligence and he's got to take advantage of the opportunity so if let me just say this well, I can't see the Braves making a run at bets because he would cost prospects and he'd be a one-year rental with by far the highest salary on the team, I mean, you know, I mean, yeah, he'd be a great player. He would make could be a difference maker. Who knows? But I cannot see the Braves justifying sending multiple prospects to the Cubs for him when they've only done the rental thing a couple of times, and it's been a while. It's been years, and neither one of those worked out very well with JD Drew, and then with Mark Teixeira, who they were supposed to have for a year and a half, two playoff runs. They got in midseason. But when they fell out of the race the next year, they only had him for 12 months, basically. And they gave up a shitload of players to get him. So, you know, that was what Yeah, people still talk making. about that trade. Yeah, they still <laughs> talk about that. So it's like, uh, you know, you never forget those. And, and, and if you're the new GM... You're not going to do. You're going to make sure. You know. You're you're going to you're going to be cautious, understandably so. And you're not going to you're not going to uh, get a rental player unless you are reasonably certain that he can be the difference in getting to the World Series. I mean, and you can't say that about bets. I mean, as great as, as I just he think is, somebody's going to give up more than the Braves. Oh yeah. You know, yeah. They, I think that you make a phone call and and you you offer him something that you think's realistic, but someone's going to offer him something unrealistic. Yeah, I don't see the Braves being in that. But no, I don't either. But for two years of Chris Bryant, I could see the Braves, if they cannot re-sign Josh Donaldson to a reasonable contract, you know, two years or maybe two plus an option at maybe $25 million a year, something like that, who knows. But if they can't sign him or Mustakas, those are really the only two free agents that would fit the bill because they're not going to go for Rendon, you know, his $300 million. They're not going to do that. But uh, if they can't re-sign Donaldson or get Mustakas, I could see the Braves making a run at Chris Bryant. And personally, I'd be willing to give up a couple of, of top prospects, you elite prospects, any pitcher not named Ian Anderson, maybe, 
you know, I don't know about Mueller. I don't know. The Braves have a better take on, on, on an idea of what they've got in a couple of these other guys. But uh, Ian Anderson, I would not touch. But I would give up uh, a top pitching prospect and maybe even one of those outfielders, uh, Pache or whichever one, Pache or Drew Waters, that you don't think you know, absolutely have to hang on to. For two years of Bryant, I'd have to consider it. You know, I'd have to, I'd have to really, uh, unless the, the asking price is just way too high, I would have to think about that, man. How about you? Chris Bryant's a hell of a player. Yeah, if he's healthy and, and you know, getting that extra year, obviously. And you said that's all settled, right? His his grievance over that, that extra yeah. day of service that he lost. Yeah, because they screwed so, him. So he's got, you know, two years that instead of one. One day shy just, of being. You have to just kind of. <laughs> You know, the funny thing about the hard thing about trades now is scouting is so advanced. You're not duping anybody. So you're going to have to give yeah. up some oh, yeah, a really good player everything. with some really good value. Yeah. But this is the this is the point of doing the stockpile and prospects um, thing that that teams are doing, you know, is that yeah. so that when you decide it's this is your window and it's time to make a move, um, you make that move. I think the hard part for the Braves is I think that they think this window's bigger than two years. Right. You know, so right. they do. So, so it's you know, and if you're, you you kind of have to decide if you're going to sign some guys or go out and make that big purchase, like get a Garrett Cole or something like that. I don't know if it's because everything we go to is like, well, I don't know if they'd give this up or if they'd spend that much money or if Mookie Betts is out of reach. Uh, I think you got to make some brash moves uh, during your window. You know, if if you're going to yeah. do the rebuild, just this is teams in general. If you're going to do the rebuild and put the fans through like four or five years of losing and everything, when it comes time to to make that move, I. I I feel like teams got to make that move. So whether it's Mookie Betts and Chris Bryant or, or sign Garrett Cole or something like that, at some point, man, you got to give up the prospects because they can't all play in the big leagues. So I wouldn't be afraid to, I wouldn't be afraid to trade for um, Bryant one bit. And if you if you give up a great prospect and he goes on and turns into a Cy Young winner, but you win a World Series in the next two years, uh, for me that's always a victory because you won a World Series. Yeah, like they gave up J.D. Drew. And, and, I mean, they gave up Wainwright to get J.D. Drew, and, you know, they had to watch Wainwright have a hell of a career with the Cardinals, uh, and he re-signed with them for $5 million yesterday. I thought that might be a chance to, uh, for the Braves to bring him back, actually, at that day. He might be a, the second of two pitchers to get this winter, you know? But anyway, he re-signed with the, with the Cardinals. He probably wanted to but stay it, there. Yeah, he did, I'm sure. But they, he also had told, I know some, one of their writers, and he also said he would he would love to go back to Atlanta, too, if it wasn't the Cardinals. He would love to be back here. So um, I see him pitching but, for like five more years for some reason. You're going year to year as long as he can do it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Bryant, though, I don't think there's that danger of, of say, Wainwright or uh, or Teixeira because well, you're not going to get – nobody's giving up as many prospects as the Braves gave up to, to get Teixeira. The young players – Those trades are done. Are, they're they're too valued now. They're too valuable in today's way game too to valued. You're getting you're getting two or three instead of right. five. And Bryant, you've got two years, and the Braves are in a position now, a better position than they were when they traded for Teixeira, in that they are pretty comfortable, confident that they're going to be in the playoffs for two years and they're going to make a run. So you'd have him for two years. So uh, he turns 28 in January. Has two years of arbitration remaining uh, before free agency. He's only making he made 12.9 million in 2019. So it's going to get a race from that, obviously. He has a 285 average, a robust 385 OBP, and 901 OPS in five seasons with the Cubs. He's averaged 28 homers and 81 ribbies, including 31 homers and 77 ribbies in 2019 after missing a third of the 2018 season due to uh, several injuries. 
and he had just 13 homers in 102 games. So that was his bad year, 18. But he bounced back pretty strong this year with 31 and 77. So um, not a guy that's you know going to play 162 and always stay healthy, but he's been pretty strong, pretty healthy for most of his career. He was the NL Rookie of the Year, if you if you might have forgotten, in 2016. He was the league MVP in 2017. A lot of people forget that in his second year. Hit 293 that year, 39 homers, 102 ribbies, and a 939 OPS. And those remain his career best homer and ribby totals. So just a little background on Chris Bryant. Um, I still tend to doubt the Cubs will trade him. I mean, I, I think they'd trade one of the other guys that they've got uh, before him, but we'll see. Uh, but even if he is available, even if Bryant is available, the one of these guys that intrigues me the most is Lindor. Lindor. Lindor, to me, with the Braves, if they could trade for two years at the Cleveland shortstop, he turns 26 today, by the way, it's his birthday. He still has two years of affordable arbitration eligible eligibility before free agency. Honestly, I would do it. Even if it cost me a package that included a couple of prospects, one of the outfielders like we talked about, an elite pitcher, pitching prospect, or a real good pitch prospect, and obviously the current Braves shortstop, Dansby Swanson, because you're not going to play Dansby anywhere else. You're not going to play him at second base. So you'd have to give up that, at least, I'm sure, to get Lindor. I would do it for Lindor because I think he's that good. I think he's that energetic and enthusiastic and just a five-tool player. And I think you'd have a pretty good chance of re-signing him compared to those other guys. I really do. That's the um, kicker. I think that's going to be a kicker for every one of these trades. Is if he's you a Puerto feel like Rican, you have a chance to keep him. Puerto Rican, born in Puerto Rico, raised in Florida. Um, like I said, he's lived in he's he's played for Cleveland his whole career, and he's never been anything but a guy that looks like he's just he's like a cunha out on the field, always having fun. Um, Five year veteran, he's been on the been an All Star each of his four complete season. Has two Silver Slugger awards, two Gold Glove awards. He's about to have his fourth consecutive top 10 MVP finish. Has a 288 career average, 347 OBP, 840 OPS. His past three seasons, get this, Lindor has 126 doubles, 103 homers, 255 ribbies, 329 runs, and 62 steals and 80 attempts. I did the math on that. It works out to this. 34 homers, 85 ribbies, 110 runs, and more than 20 steals a season over the past three. For a guy to hit at top of the order. You know, can you imagine him, Acuna, and Ozzy Albies in a lineup with Freddie Freeman? Well, I can't imagine trading him, you know, first of all. That yeah, you but, know, everything you just rattle off about him, it's just that sounds like a you know, yeah. a reason just to keep him, right? And, and you expect the teams yeah. to do it. But yeah, and I get it. So him and Ozzy up the middle too. Uh, oh my God. That'd be insane. Uh but you know, Dansby's a stud and he is a stud. Uh but this He's is a, a different level player offensively. It's a different level. It's a different level player. Um, totally different level offensively. Yeah, I mean, if you can get him and and not every, but this is the thing: is every single team's got to be thinking the same thing. If if a Lindor or a Betts is on the trade market, every single team should be figuring out a way to get him, right? And and it's not because there's only certain teams that are planning on competing in the next yeah. window that you that you'd get to keep him, right? But well. If you're Cleveland, you can narrow it down to the teams that have prospects, which the Braves still right. do, plenty of them. Yeah, um, so team that needs a shortstop or could use a shortstop would be willing to replace its shortstop. 
a team that is a, content, a contender that would think yeah. that it's worth getting him for two years, you know, there's a chance you would only have him two. I think they could sign him longer. So it does narrow it down to a handful no, it of teams does. maybe. By the end of that, you're probably looking at five or six legitimate yeah. suitors for him. Um if you, I mean, if you get your, if Braves. you can get your hands, and that's the that's the thing is is the Braves are for me they're in their window right now. I think it's going to be a big one because they have so much young talent. But yeah. if you can get a guy like Lindor to throw in there, um, <laughs> how much you got to find a way like to do to play it with Acuna. How much do you think he'd like playing with Acuna and Ozzy Albies up the middle? Oh, that man. up the middle I defense mean, with oh that that's so. Di- I mean, I guess that'd be your. Well, I don't even know how you'd you'd have to move Ozzy or. I don't know how you how you'd set that lineup with all that because you yeah want all I don't know you worry about that later man <laughs> yeah I'd have him yeah, at the that, top that's a great problem to have or two uh, if you know Facuña if you want to keep him at, at right. the top who cares but man you'd have options it'd be the most dynamic lineup in the league yeah you're talking about power average OBP stolen bases I mean Jesus Christ it's just this dude's phenomenal he has four straight seasons where he's been an AL top 10 in defensive war, by the way. Four straight Jesus. seasons. Yeah, he does yeah, everything. Just, <laughs> I don't know how he's on the trail. Well, yeah, I guess I do because – but shit, man. If he played if for the get, Dodgers or the Yankees, he'd be he'd be as big a star as there is in the league. In sport, well, not in sports, but – He'd be huge. Yeah. You just, he's a, he's a good-looking kid. He's a, as a Puerto Rican native, his nickname is Mr. Smile. <laughs> I mean, this guy, you know, he's always, he's just a, a bundle of energy. And it's like, I've heard nothing but good stuff about him. He and turned he just down turned an how offer. old? 26 today. He turned down an Man. offer of around $100 million after that 2016 World Series when the Indians went in. He was 23 at the time after his first full season. So basically, he turned down the offer that Acuna took. And he should have. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because they cause said he could command. If he was a free agent now, he could command a three hundred million dollar uh, contract. Yeah, he's he, he'll be what 28, 27, 28. Uh, yeah, twenty eight after you have him two years, just in his peak years. He's just entering his peak now, basically. Man, I don't know with free agency now. I just I don't know how it's all going to play out. It's the the whole field is just the way oh, I know it's free agents are like suited and the, and the contracts and everything. It's. Yeah, you're at the, the guy back tw- end, really, at 28. 28's old now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's what's wild. As crazy as it is, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's why I have a hard time weighing in on a lot of this stuff because free agency is so much different than – if you were if, if Lindor hit the market 10 years ago, you could just book him for a 10-year deal. Yeah. Right? And teams would just say, I don't care what he's doing when he's 37, 38. We'll just, we can release him, right? Like the Pujols yeah, deal. Yeah. But yeah. now everybody's watching the Pujols deal play out. Um, it's I, I really, man, I have a hard time weighing in on a lot of this stuff because – that's so much different and and the contracts guys are going to get, but I feel like the agents are still playing the exact same game where they're playing hardball down yeah. to the last minute and, and stretching it out. I don't know if the agents have really adjusted to this new landscape. Yeah. Well, some of them have not, or they refuse to, and no. they know what the new landscape Boris is, Boris is, like doing Boris the same is going playbook. down swinging, man. Yeah. He, yeah, he's he not giving an inch. <laughs> he is. <laughs> and he's he's got yeah. the run of the market right now, so he's got it cornered with the guys he's got as free agents this winter. Um, Indians president Chris Antonetti, to answer your question, he told reporters Tuesday here at the GM meetings that they're in no rush to trade Lindor, and he insisted that he anticipates he'll be the opening day shortstop again in 2020. But what else is he going to say to their fan base? I mean, you're not going to say – yeah, we're listening to offers for him, but he did not come out and say he is going to be our opening day shortstop. He did not say well, that. Where did the rumor come from? Oh, it's been out there for 
since midseason that you know that, that this was coming to a head because the Indians are cutting they cut payroll last year and they're going to cut it again this year. So that's where that's where it all came from, and they've never denied it. They've, t- they've there's, there's a lot been, of calls has on there it. been some insider that said it's happening or another GM? Yeah, that they've like gotten calls for him. Quoted, they have not yeah, turned, and they have not told teams no, he's not available. Damn, he's the most popular player on the team, as far as I know. They've got some popular guys like Kluber and Santana, but he's this is the guy, man. He's the guy. I think the other way to look at it too, though, is you know when you give up prospects, you can sign Lindor to a two-year deal, and your cost is prospects. Uh, and I think a lot of teams will be, you know, like we talked about, there's there's got to be five or six teams legitimately in on that, and the price tag's got to be sky high because you can't get you can't get uh, the door stolen out from under you. If it's, but, if, it's if it's not just debilitating, he's right. the guy <laughs> can't have that's to. out there that I would really consider for all the reasons we said. Plus, I think when he gets to Atlanta, like I said, Puerto Rican guy from Florida. And he gets alongside Acuna and Ozzy Albies and those guys and, and knows how long those guys are signed for. I just think there's so many things that would weigh in that would lead him to re-sign here if, you know, they make a comparable offer or just a competitive offer. So, uh, you know, you get him thinking, you know, only assured that you got him for two years. But in the back of your mind, you're thinking, we got a real chance to sign this guy. If we go to the playoffs and do go deep and make a run – and he's playing with Acuna and Albies having the time of his life, you got a real chance to re-sign this guy. And he's played in Cleveland for the last five. No disrespect to Cleveland, but I think he's going to have more fun playing in Atlanta. Yeah. Yeah, and with the uh, – any time a team's cutting payroll and doing all that and you're in your prime, it's – you know, you as a player, you know that your window to produce and your window to get a World Series and, and your window to do things like that is is coming to a close too. So if they're cutting payroll and – and not being competitive, you definitely want to get out and get to a winner. Yeah. If he comes to Atlanta, man, with this core, that's just almost be unfair. And then you're bringing up a guy like Pache or Drew Waters. You're adding that to yeah. it by, within the next year. One more guy with power and speed. Yeah. Not not speed like this guy, but um, – So, yeah, he's entering the second-year arbitration, projected to get about a $6 million raise this year, so it make close to $17 million, uh, next season. Then he'll get another big raise, obviously, in 2021, the final year of free, before free agency. Uh, and like I said, if he hit the free major market now, they said he could command a $300 million contract. They had $135 million opening day payroll in 18. It was their highest in franchise history, and it got to 150 at the end of the year. And then last year, they trimmed payroll, and uh, they're expected to cut it again this winter, even though they went, you know, they, were, they won 90-some games last year, so. It's kind of a shame, but that's where they are. You know, they're not making money. Uh, well, they say they're not making money there and all that. So, um, well. You buying that, Dave? <laughs> no, no, no. No, I, everybody's making money. Yeah. 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 Yeah, they're not making it hand over fist like a few places are. But, yeah. And they're, you know, and the teams that aren't, that don't have anybody in the, in the in attendance like Miami, they're still making money with the revenue sharing and everything. So, right. And TV revenues and all that. So, um Moving on, let's talk uh, sign stealing, which was the biggest topic of conversation yesterday on day Man. one. It hit like a bomb when the athletic, uh, Kenny Rosenthal and Evan Trellick, uh, who used to cover the Astros, he they wrote a story that hit yesterday morning and it caused a stir at the GM meetings. The Astros <laughs> stealing signs in 2017 Fires, Mike Fires, former pitcher, Astros pitcher, came out and said it happened. He went on the record, and three other uh, uh, unnamed 
sources that were on that team or connected to that team said the same thing that had happened. And then uh, they and they gave a detailed account of how it happened, banging on, you know, it, it was pretty detailed and it was pretty much you, you're uh, John Boy on uh, Twitter found some footage to illustrate what those guys had in the athletic story about how they would bang on a trash can in the uh, in the clubhouse uh, hallway to the clubhouse, the hallway right next to the dugout. What the, what the Astros would do, just to, real briefly, to let people know who might not have read the story. You should read the story, though. It's really it's fascinating. But the Astros' home games in 2017 would use their center field video camera, have it trained on the opposing catcher between his legs when he puts down his signs. They, have, they had it hooked to a video monitor that hung on the wall, and they set up on the right in the hallway next to the dugout. Yep, live They'd feed. They'd have a right, live feed. They'd have a couple of players and team personnel, various whoever, you know, baseball ops people, whoever, you know, to help. And there'd be a few people sitting there and watch the pitch, and they would decode what the signs were, figure out what the pitch what pitches were. And once they got it, they would start bang. They would bang on a trash can immediately after reading a breaking ball or a uh, off-speed Change pitch. Up. Yeah, they would, they would bang on the trash can. The batter, and it would only work, obviously, if it was it wouldn't work like in a playoff atmosphere. Probably was too loud for them to hear. But on most games, it's clear. The batter can hear it clearly. With you bang on a trash can from the dugout, and the batter is obviously knows to listen for this. He knows the changeups or a breaking ball changeups coming off speed pitch. And most of the time, they just lay off that pitch. And when he doesn't hear a bang, it's a fastball. Man, I mean, it was well, pretty hard. Well, you could hard. do it. Go, Go ahead. ahead. You know, you know more about this shit than I do. So look, you, you tell me what look, you know about sign stealing and what did you think when you read this? You probably went, yeah, of course they could do that. Yeah, that wasn't, I, you know, it's not surprising. Um, I, if you've watched BMAC catch the last however many years, ever since he was with the yeah. Yankees, he's been given multiple signs with nobody yeah. on base in the first inning. Um, and he was and, and I think a lot of, <laughs> uh, yeah, and he was with the Astros. So, I mean, you know. <laughs> Um, but this is the thing about that is not all the players want it. Not all the players oh, yeah, want yeah. to I'm participate not in it. I'm just saying if he was right, aware not, they do it, he was probably more careful. Exactly. He, he knows this, but yeah. everybody knows that. Yeah, even yeah, when I was, even back when I was with the, uh, the Braves, my first run there, there was always rumors about the Phillies, something, something they were doing where they had some kind of buzzer in a coach's pocket that would give a verbal from the dugout. And, you you'd think that you couldn't do it in a playoff atmosphere, but a playoff atmosphere almost just allows you to be more uh, reckless right. with it. You know, you could right. just have a louder, you could have a damn whistle in the playoffs, but right. you just have to have something that's audible to the hitter. Um, mm-hmm. Every single team has a live camera feed pointed at home plate. They have just live cameras all over the place. Uh, the reason you can't do it with the broadcast is because the broadcasts are all delayed uh, like five right. minutes in the clubhouses. Not right. five minutes, five seconds, five, yeah, six seconds, right. which isn't enough time once the sign's given to consistently yeah. give that verbal. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I was on a team that that had almost, you know, we were going to do it just to prove a point of how easy it was out of suspicion. And uh-huh. so we set up a system uh, basically with a guy a guy sitting in an outfield bullpen and a, and a phone, right? Uh-huh. And, and a video guy. And just to prove how easy it was – they relayed it to a guy, and he either had his hand up or down uh-huh. in the outfield, and it was either right. fastball or off speed. And those live feeds that are pointed at the catcher's um, fingers 
Yeah. It's it's immediate. So you get it, and then yeah. the guy would just hear a beep in his little headphone he had, and he'd either move his hand up or move his hand down. Yeah. And it was it was so it was so easy to pull off. Um, the coaches on that team found out about it and ripped into everybody that even had knowledge of it. They were so angry because it's a different level, man. I was I was yeah. trying to come up with like an analogy of it. Um, because people keep saying, you know, uh, sign stealing's always been yeah, part of the game, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Right. right. And it's I couldn't come up with a good one, but you, you know, it'd be like if you went to buy a car, right? And you're sitting yeah. in the you're sitting in the lobby of the dealership or you're sitting in some office in the dealership and you're sitting there talking to your wife about okay well we can you know the maximum the most we can pay for this car is 31,500 and we need at least 21,000 you know 500 for our trade-in and the dealer comes in two minutes later and repeats those exact numbers for you and says how's that sound (laughs) and you're just like holy shit it's my lucky day you know they, they gave me the numbers I want right off the bat and then, you know, a month later, you find out that dealership had microphones in every little office, which, you know, a used right. car dealership, you'd kind of expect them to have some Weasley stuff going on. But uh, in baseball, there's kind of almost a code. You know, you, right. there's a lot of unwritten rules and, and just things where I think everybody in baseball kind of agrees that that's crossing the line. And yeah. and so there's a little bit of carelessness with that, that there's no way they'd use a camera zoomed in from center field and have a live feed into the batting cage dug out and be banging right. on trash cans and doing all that. Uh, but they did. And, you know, guys confirming it, there's there's really no way to hide from this one. Yeah. Um, and I don't even know if there's a penalty set in place for it because it's just so new. It's not something that you'd ever uh-huh. – you'd never expect there to be some network, advanced network set up so that teams yeah. can steal your signs. Uh, but like like I said with BMAC, he's been using those multiple signs um, for years. The thing about that is if you got a good enough guy um, watching those signs, the pitcher's yeah. going to have to mix up his sign sequencing inning by inning. And it's just right. it's such a pain in the ass. I think that – you know, if if there's another instance of this, the league's just going to have to go to what football does and have headphones and communication and all that. And that's just it's just ugly and not really part of baseball. Uh, like yeah. the aesthetics of it are are pretty ugly. Um, so I think it's they'd pretty, rather avoid that. But I think that's what it's going to come to. Because what you're saying and, and 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 people out there that would just like I saw some people that were the comments to the story were so what if you're not cheating you're not trying everybody still signs. But this is a totally different thing because, like you said, this is like totally systemic. Different. This is a system they're using in place. Yeah. Like it's a team, not authorized officially, but you know people knew about it all in the team. They're in the they're in the tunnel doing it. They put a monitor up on the wall specifically for this, which meant everybody, including the manager, knew exactly what was going on. That's a big step from a guy at second base stealing signs and signaling to his teammate who's hitting. That's a big leap forward. You know what I mean? It's completely, it's completely different, and I think that that is most part of people, the game. Guy at second most, base stealing well, absolutely. signs, if, and that's frowned upon. If you're being too. sloppy, if if you're being sloppy and you're tipping pitches or your catcher's right. setting up a different way, picking up on those things just game gamesmanship. Right. Using technology is right. It, people just guys. It's just it's just too far. It's you know, cheating. It's, it's not it's part of the game. It's cheating. I think it's cheating. In my mind, that's cheating. And the, like. People I, think Fulty the, was tipping pitches in that Cardinals game, you know, but they couldn't figure out Fulte. what he was doing, you know. That's but that's all on Fulty and having to do something different and, and stop yeah. them from being able to tip pitches. Well, opposing teams couldn't stop this, you know. All they could do is change the signals, which they, I saw a pitcher do in the, in the video John Boyd posted. Who was that pitcher that did it for, I think it was the Mariners? Changed yeah, no, the signs in the middle. Farquhar, and yeah, then he threw yeah. that change up. 
Yeah. It's on my feed. Uh, it, then he throws a changeup, and, and right. Gaddis missed it by a foot, right? Because Gaddis Gaddis didn't hear that verbal, didn't hear the which, yeah, you know uh, that that audible sound. So, right. um, the, you know, the thing is, is it's it's just it, for me, it's cheating. And the the thing is, is that um, Hinch is getting roasted for this, but it could have just been one or two hitters. And yeah, if it's if it's yeah. one or two guys, you might not pick up on it as a manager. That every time Gaddis is hit, even with the monitor hanging, hanging in the hallway, though, huh? I mean, yeah, that, I mean, well, you're not you're not looking there. for it. You're not yeah. looking for it, and you don't want to know why your guys are raking or not. Right, raking. they could have some uh, other excuse for being there. Honestly, I mean, well, just the point I'm making is, if it's just one or two hitters. Yeah, and the guy, you know, you might not know if it's every single hitter in the lineup, and you claim you didn't know, then yeah. you know you're full of shit, obviously. But if it's just you know Gaddis and and Marvin or Marvin Gonzalez, when those guys hit, there's a trash can banging. You got so much other stuff going on as a manager, you might not right, notice. Right. I'm not giving him an out and saying he doesn't. I'm just saying that you know it's it doesn't make everybody on the team complacent when you do these things because, like I said, when when I was on that team, there was. There were six guys. We went around to every hitter and said, would you want the signs today if we yeah. had them, right? Yeah. And we weren't even going to do it. We just wanted to know if if we could communicate that to prove a point how easy that was. And us just doing that, the coaches got so angry about it and shut it down. But there was five or six hitters that said, no, I don't want to know what's coming. Yeah. They just they don't want to know because a lot of times what will happen, if, if you're looking for a slider and you know a slider's coming and then you yeah. see the slider, you yeah. swing at a slider even if it's yeah. in the dirt. And, and it, it messes up guys' natural reaction to pitches um, That's and how, how they respond to stuff. Um, so there's a lot of hitters that don't want it, you know. And yeah, I'd, that I'd could like be to ask case. Chipper about that, you know. Get his thoughts I bet on Chipper that. wouldn't want it. I bet yeah, he wouldn't I, want I it. I think I've but, heard him say that before, yeah. But there was a guy on that team that was hitting like zero, <laughs> and he wanted it, right? Yeah. Uh, Man, it, it puts a, <laughs> you bring up an interesting point because I think it puts – players in a really awkward position because if you were on those that Astros team and it was just say it was team-wide or everybody was aware of what was going on I think there's a lot of guys that would really have a moral problem with doing that or an ethical problem I should say you know and you put them in a position of like saying no I don't want to know and then maybe somebody thinks what you don't want to have an advantage you don't want to you what you don't want to win you don't want to be as best you can be I think you put people in an awkward position if it's system-wide and that video monitor is hanging in the hallway, and people are walking yeah. by, going, "What's that? What are you guys watching on there?" By the way, you're all they're laying on these massage tables that they set up across the hallway, just so they can watch this. You know, right? Yeah, and, and, and other and hitters also, are going, "Oh man, I don't want to know that shit. I didn't learn that way. I don't want to do that." And are you going to rat out your teammates? Because yeah, that's exactly. going to look even worse. It's exactly. just it, it, it really puts guys in a tough Weird. spot. Um, but yeah, it's it's for me, it's cheating. There's that. It's not even. There should be, there's got to be some kind of, if they don't, if there's not fines and repercussions and losing draft picks for it now, the penalty yeah. has to be so extreme that not, if that, anyone in the organization even catches wind that yeah. it might be happening, they shut yeah. that down, suspend the player, do something like that. So it's got to be like a $10 million fine for the organization, or it's got to be you lose your picks. next, you lose three draft, three first yeah. rounders, you know, like the, the penalty has to be so extreme that it's just not even something organizations will consider. Or you have to move to headsets and just say we can't control it, uh, you know, some kind of wristband that they can communicate yeah, that through. Would suck. Yeah, it'd just be ugly for the game, yeah. and and I think that's what you really want to avoid. So, fire um, said, like you said, fire said that's not playing the game the right way. It's not. Yeah. It's and and everybody agrees on that in baseball. 
you know, the guys that are willing to do it, they're just saying screw it and doing it on their own. But it it, it makes everybody on that 2017 team look bad. And there could have yep. been, you know, 60% of that roster could have been like, you know what, man, I don't I don't want anything to do with this. But at the same time, nobody stepped up and said, that's not who we are. You know, that's not how we're playing yeah. uh, that that didn't know about it. So it's just an ugly thing, man. And another I'll Black tell you this though. I, I'll tell you this, man. They, they are taking that if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying thing to heart. Because there's just been like one accusation after another the last three, four years against them. The, the juice, the the doctor no in the baseballs, the the stealing signs. It's just been. They've just they, been they've been going for it, man. They're and then, they're and then uh, the they're thing going two rogue. three weeks ago with the with the comments from the assistant GM who got fired. The comments yeah. to the female yeah. reporters. <laughs> I mean, They're they have taken some win. hits this off this uh, <laughs> since the end of the regular season. They all, yeah. they announced the MLB and the Astros almost immediately announced yesterday a joint investigation after the story broke on the Athletic. So it's going to be interesting what they come up with. If they if they if this investigation if at the end of it they say we couldn't find anything they're going to be like well you got some bad piss poor investigators then because yeah. these reporters <laughs> found people to, to say it happened. Hey, um, they're not nailing it right now. I can tell you that. I mean, no. they, they got the World Series though, so their fans aren't are probably going to forgive them for it. Yeah, but they blew it though with losing all four games in the home games in the World Series. But their GM once again yesterday, he was surrounded by reporters. It looked like Boris had when Boris does his scrum at the GM meetings or the winter meetings when there's like fifty reporters around him or more with Boris. There were hit when hit when they had the uh, the managers GM availability yesterday. <laughs> all the reporters just swarmed around. Uh, Lulo from uh, from uh, Luno from uh, the uh, Astros. I and, bet. Oh my God! And he was just in that position again, where he's trying to explain and so oh, it's not like us. We regret it. You know, we're going to look to get to the bottom of. And a lot of no comments. He said, "I can't really comment on it." Well, this, this well, <laughs> the athletic. That didn't how about work that? Out just with him for, yeah, the athletic, athletic just dropping it day one of the <laughs> left him nowhere to hide, right? And just dropped it at the right time, but. It's just probably all just hitting him out of the left field. You know, he probably didn't see that coming either. And he's already trying to navigate yeah. that situation from yeah. a few weeks ago that's not getting dropped. Exactly. But. They're just feel, get, coming, getting over the repercussions from that. Yeah, he's, you know? he's got to be pretty <laughs> – I don't know how he's sleeping well, you know, trying to come up with answers for all this. But uh, I just looked up uh, Mike Fire's numbers against Astros. And I can tell you why he spoke up. He's got a he had a nine and a half ERA against them the last year, 2019. <laughs> He's tired of getting raked. Wow, by him. I didn't see that. Yeah. I didn't see that. Yeah, I just I thought as soon as I saw that, I thought this dude thinks they're doing it against him, and he's had enough. So he went he went zero oh, and one man. in five games with a nine three nine twenty three innings, um, thirty two hits, twenty four earned runs, twelve homers. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, shit. They raked him. And the whole time he's so, pitching yeah, he's, had him, enough. he's going, well, you guys know what I'm throwing. <laughs> yeah, no shit. So now his confidence gone either way. I'd yeah, like to see what, it, what, what, what his numbers were specifically at Houston against them, too. Oh, let me – I don't know if I could find that. I just looked up yeah, against the Astros. Because yeah. it was yeah. home games, obviously. <laughs> anyway, wow, man. Yeah, the Astros, yeah, for all their success the last few years – they have yeah. uh, they've made a lot of enemies in the sport, and that's the other thing is uh, this is they're not they're first, certainly not the first team that's been stealing signs. It happens all the time it, at various levels. It happens, but uh, and to various degrees. A lot of times it's just a player or two, a guy from second base, you know, telling the hitter his his fellow that's hitter fine. what's going on. Um, 
But the Astros have made so many enemies with the way they go about things and the way they treat people and the cheating that a lot of people think they've done that people are so much more willing to snitch on the Astros and in Fire's case yeah. to have put his name on it yeah, than they would have it. been for <laughs> other teams that are, you know, that are that are not as hated as the Astros are right now. So And they had the thing me. where they were uh they hacked somebody's network, right? They hacked into the Cardinals Cardinals computers or something like yeah, that. Yeah, after yeah, after they got left the Cardinals. <laughs> They're going for it. <laughs> they don't, they're just, they don't care. They're leaving a, a trail, but just a blazing trail behind. They don't care what it takes. Almost, I'm slightly starting to respect it a little bit. That <laughs> They just don't give a shit what, what kind of uh, mess they leave behind. They just want World Series. <laughs> uh, I don't think they're going to be selling a lot of gear this offseason to new fans. No. But their own fans, yeah. <laughs> they love it. <laughs> um, moving on. All right, so... <laughs> This is uh, another unrelated mess. topic. This is from a story that I uh, that I put on the athletic site today about uh, Alex met with a couple of us Atlanta writers that were here uh, yesterday. Talked to us just about kind of you know general stuff. He's not saying a whole lot. You don't want to talk about free agency right now because Tony Clark, you know, that over uh, overreaching with the overreaction to Alex's comment last week. Uh, oh, yeah. a, a week after they signed Marcakis, when Alex, for those who might not be familiar with, Alex said something along the lines of, "Yeah, I've been talking. I've talked to all 27 teams just to get lay the land, feel for what they're doing with free agency." And he made the comment only because he was trying to express to us that they're talking to other teams to see what teams are looking for in free agency because it then might uh, give the brace an idea of who those teams might make available in trades. In other words, if the Cardinals are looking for a second baseman in free agency or just a, a left fielder in free agency, it might mean they're, they're willing to trade their, their current left fielder. That's the thing. It happens. It's what every GM does. It's part of the job. Right. But as soon as he uttered the words free agency – it set off Tony Clark, who right now I feels like I think maybe his job, if not in jeopardy, yeah. he at least knows that a lot of people are unhappy with what the players' union has done in the last couple of years. So they're in the climate of the last couple of years with free agency and how long some guys have sat out and all that. They're just really hypersensitive to it. So he overreacted and said that the union is launching an investigation immediately into the Braves for, you know, basically they're looking to see if, if collusion. It had nothing to do with collusion. But anyway... Alex and Davalos and everybody, everybody I talked to yesterday, by the way, felt the same way. Off the record, they were all like, that was ridiculous. Tony totally overreacted. But as a result, Alex is not going to talk about even his own free agents like Josh Donaldson to let us know where things stand. So, uh, yeah, well, now he's just going to say less. Yeah. You know, he yeah, that guy already not, says nothing. He's not going to talk about free agents at all. So. Uh, what he did talk about yesterday is their needs and all that, which everybody kind of knows what the Braves' needs are right now. He's talked about this before. Third base, obviously, J.D.'s up in the air right now. Catcher, after Brian McCann retired, they got to get a catcher to either be the priority guy, the primary, primary guy or to, uh, to uh, platoon with Flowers, who they've re-signed for a year. Uh, and they got a couple of catching prospects on the way. Contreras, uh, you know, the brother of the Cubs catcher. But uh, uh, Shea Langoliers, who was their first-round pick last year, they're real high on him, really strong defensive guy. But those guys are probably at least a year away. They can bring them up this year if they have to for depth. Uh, and then Alex Jackson so far has not, in his time in the big leagues, has not shown that he's ready to, you know, strikes out a ton. So they need to get another catcher, and they're going to do that. Um, whether they'll be able to splurge on a catcher, I don't know if they want to do that, go like multi-year on a guy like Grandel. I kind of doubt it. Seems to make more sense to me, that they would got to sign a guy like Castro from the Twins to Platoon, whose numbers are really good, especially in a Platoon with Flowers. So, 
But he made, I asked Alex yesterday specifically about untouchables because in the Braves organization, Acuna really in recent years has been the only absolute untouchable. They weren't going to trade Soroka last winter either, but Acuna was the guy when teams called, those teams knew, and then eventually they just stopped calling him and asking about him, but they knew the Braves weren't trading Acuna, period. I asked Alex, is there anybody like that in the organization now? Basically said, no, there's not. He said when he came on board, Acuna, as GM two years ago, that Acuna was the guy he wasn't going to trade. He hadn't even seen Acuna play yet, but he knew enough about him and heard enough about him. Acuna was off limits. They weren't going to trade him. But uh, And we've seen why since Acuna debuted. He's a superstar. Uh, he has no brainer. Right. He said, I think Acuna was unique. When I first got here, that was the one player, even though I hadn't seen him play, that we weren't going to move. Again, the contract we gave him last year reflected that. The Braves, uh, they signed Acuna to that eight-year, $100 million contract that includes two $17 million options. He could be here for nine seasons, nine more after last season. The contract started last year. He could be here for 10 total seasons for $124 million, which would be the biggest bargain in sports. Uh, it was a record-smashing deal for the player with so little experience, but potentially one of the most team-friendly contracts in Major League history, if not the if, sports if, if history. Yeah, and Ozzy <laughs> obviously might have been the only one to sign the more team-friendly contract <laughs> a week yeah. later, his buddy. Uh, so, But the, big, the point I'm getting to here is the guys they got now, the brace prospects they've got now, they've got needs to fill, and there's nobody off limits in the organization right now. In other words, they got two outfield prospects coming with uh, Pache and, uh, and Drew Waters, and neither one of them is ready to, to start opening day. They're not, and, and they, and neither one of them just destroyed AAA pitching last year like Acuna did. They've still got some some some, some uh, seasoning to do that they can benefit from. Uh, but it, I, my take on it is the Braves are going to be willing to trade at least one of those guys if they need to. And I think they'll trade any of the pitchers in the organization, uh, the minor league pitchers, the prospects, with the exception. I don't think they'd trade Ian Anderson. That's just me personally. But Alex basically said they'll, they'll, there's nobody off limits. They'll, they don't want to go into closing any doors going into trade negotiations. They don't want to let other teams think anybody is off limits. And that says, that says a lot to me that they're at that point now in their, in their organization where, like you said, the window's open and they can win. And if you look at last year, we talked about it was time. It might have been time to deal a couple of those pitching prospects. I think we – Looked pretty good, and others who said it might be time to, to deal one or two of those guys because if you look back, Gohara went from being a prospect that they could have got something for even last year after his injuries the previous year. He went from that to gone from the organization now. They released him finally. All his multiple injuries, being overweight, all that, he's gone. So they got nothing for him. Tuki Toussaint went from being a guy a year ago. They could have got something for Tuki Toussaint. He was still the top prospect. Right now, I don't think he has a whole lot of trade value. That they're running into what we're saying is they're running into the danger of when you keep guys maybe a year too long because you don't want to trade guys who might become an ace, you run into that that problem of things can happen and they might have a year where they got hurt or they just didn't perform like as expected, and all of a sudden they're not nearly as valuable in the trade market as they were. Right. And and that's kind of the risk, man, is you know, if these guys aren't guaranteed to be anything. Yeah, guys can hit Most a level. Most of them are not going can, to be great. You have to know their characters, but you know I can't tell you how many guys I came up with through the minor leagues that were this top prospect. Yeah, and we all thought they sucked. 
right? Yeah. And then and then finally they'd get to the big leagues or this level that we knew they couldn't compete at, and they'd suck. And they'd be like a number three draft pick or a, you know a number five talent in the league or something like that because they had all the tools. But you play ping pong against the guy and whoop his ass, and you just know he's not a competitor. You know something like that. Yeah. You just you'd see these little things with these guys. And you just be like, man, this guy's soft. He's not a winner. He's not gonna. He's not gonna be able to handle the big leagues. Or you'd see a, a hole in their swing, or you'd see uh, something like, you know, we drafted um, Jeff Clement with the Mariners. I think we drafted him third overall, and uh-huh. his first, his he got to he got to Appleton, and we all kind of looked around like this. This is the dude, you know. This is this is the guy that's that's gonna change the organization. And we watched him take yeah. BP the first couple of days, and it was it was okay, and and we. Yeah, we watched him go up through the organization, and pretty pretty sure he got up to the big leagues, and he just kind of you know he was there for a few years and then went away. But there was a point where if you had that guy in your organization, you could have got a lot for him. Yeah, and the whole the whole yep. job as a GM is to really you know teams have to be really good at evaluating guys, but you also have to understand the risk. If this guy falls flat on his face, yeah, uh, he's worth nothing. So yeah, you know it's not an easy job evaluating it's these guys, easy. but that's that's, that's why that they get paid risk. a lot of money. It is, and you know this is this is going to be a big test for for Alex because if he if he holds on to a few guys that fall flat on their face and they could have got a Lindor or something like that, yeah, and then the then the window closes and you look back and you're like shit, we wouldn't give up so and so and this guy for Lindor. That's all I right. wanted, right? And then say Dan's gets hurt or something, you don't have a shortstop next year. Yeah, because you, know, you, you then you run it, him, but you run that risk whole- of. You know, in this day and age, when all those details get out there on who they asked yeah. for and all that, you look good you when look it looks terrible. like you you told teams that you wouldn't trade. Uh, you know, last year when Austin Riley came up and was raking. It looked great when you could tell. That's why we didn't give him up for Real Muto, you know. Or that's why we didn't give up Ozzy Albies for Real Muto. Or that's why Acuna was off limits. But it can also but go the other back, way. Looking back, go- would you have traded Riley for Real Muto right now? After after the second half, yeah, <laughs> right, and yeah, going into this you know, season needing to catch yeah, now it's like could go either way, you know. I'm not sold on what Austin's going to be long term, to be honest. But right, right. When those details get out there, though, and it say it, say it comes out that a year ago, you know, you wouldn't give up Tuki Toussaint and Gohara three years ago for this guy, and he's now a stud. Then you look really bad. So those, so it right. can go both ways. That risk, you know. But I think with a GM, you know, can't be scared. Hindsight's always twenty twenty. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know that it's, it's, it's part of your job, and that's why you pay a lot of scouts and a lot of assistants to watch these guys. You know, a lot of people think, well, why is the why is the assistant GM, you know, this guy, this high, why is he at Double A watching this guy for ten straight days? You know, right? And you're like, you know what you got with that guy. Why do you need to watch no, him every day? Get it right. Yeah, yeah, you need to watch everything, like you said, the character, the workouts, the bullpen sessions. You got to see everything. You got to see. You know how this guy behaves around other people. Maybe he says something. Maybe he says something or does something that's like a red flag and goes, "Ooh, he's a real asshole, yeah. isn't he?" You know, you yeah. got to see everything, man. You got to know yeah, everything you can possibly failure. know. Yeah, because there's some or things he's got that a are going on. Problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You got. You maybe you need to be around the team to hear somebody say he's got a drinking problem. Or last night we were out and he got drunk and said this to this woman. You know, the little shit like that. Yeah. Yeah, get rid of you know you have to you have to see those red flags that and pay guy, attention yeah. to them. And then there's some but, of the guys and, that are just like Tuki Toussaint. You know, I would have thought the I would have thought two years ago when he came up and made his debut, I would have thought this guy by now is going to be a stud. He looked like he had no fear whatsoever, totally poised on the mound last year, and since then he's looked like anything but that most of those outings. 
Yeah, and that's the hardest part is it's a lot of times that second year, that second time through the league, yeah. and everybody's seen what you got. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if you got a guy that comes up and has this great September, he's a huge prospect, and you don't want to let him go. Or even with uh-huh. Austin Riley, man, think about what you could have got for Austin Riley in, in June. <laughs> a month into right? his career? I know. But you can't trade him right there. Uh, no. And, and then the league sees him a second time through. They, I mean, I remember watching him yeah. hit and just thinking, I don't Sliders. even know how I pitched this guy. And right. then, then teams figure it out, and they just keep throwing it to them. And and they, yep. if, if if the league in the big leagues, man, if they find a flaw or a hole in your swing or or a tip on your pitches or or yep. something a pitch you can't make that they can eliminate, all of a sudden it's a game changer. Um, and you, you know, it's just it's a matter of just evaluating the guys and understanding that at any point this guy could could fall off a cliff. And if you got a chance to get a guaranteed player that's like Lindor, there's there's no flaw in Lindor. You know, he's right. this deep, he's right. this deep into it, you know what you're going to get. But being able yeah. to beat up on double A, triple A pitching and, and have wheels and, and track yeah. balls down the outfield, you know, that that may or may not translate to the big leagues. And, right. and that's why that's why teams value their scouts so much. And scouts get not enough credit because that's this is their job is to put their name on whether to keep a guy or sell them. But, uh, you know, you just have to make these moves right. And it's going to be interesting to see what the Braves do because they got a window and they got some proven talent that, um, you know, you got to expect a World Series or at least a World Series run out of this this window right now or it's it's going to be looked at as a big time failure. You know, there's a couple of examples that come to mind. It's like when uh, when when Jason Hayward and Freddie Freeman came up together, lockstep, hip to hip, uh, all about know, locked at the hip. It was all about Hayward. He was he was the guy. He was the athlete. He was the guy that had all the tools. They had the cannon of an arm, hit balls 500 feet in batting practice, all this. Freddie Freeman, yeah, he's a nice player. Yeah, but he's kind of slow. Look at him. He's kind of soft looking, you know. He's a, he's goofy. he can't run. He's a goofy looking yeah. guy. He's got a weird swing. He plays first base, you know. So he he's a good player, but the other guy, ooh, yeah, that you're talking, you know, you're talking the next Hank Aaron. So, right. um and then teams the Braves, start throwing fastballs in. Yeah, the Braves at a certain point, even after Jason had that, you know, really good rookie year, they made that offer to Freddie, and they made a huge offer to, to Jason too. But Jason thought he could get a lot more, and he didn't take it. And then after the the Braves saw a little bit more, Jason, they didn't try to re- they didn't try to let him go. They traded him after they had you know saw him start to get exposed a little bit, saw what they wanted out of Freddie. Man, talk about you know years later because they got ripped for that for a couple more years. When Jason was uh you know people looked at his WAR and said yeah he's still worth a ton more than Freddie Freeman. Now looking back at it. That was one of those decisions that they obviously made the right call. I mean, well, uh, I want Jay Hay on my team any day of the week because who he is in right field and who right, he is as a teammate, just and, not and a lot contract. of those other things. I I just think you know his his swing, man. It's he's been working on it so hard, and he just yeah. he's, he can't it's find a, a way to get to that fastball up and in. No, it's not really a mess, but this is the type of thing that happens. Is you see a big, strong, six foot five, six foot four, two hundred thirty pound outfielder like Jay Hay with light tower power, every instinct you have is going to be to stay away from him, stay down yeah. the way. And as you're as you're coming up through the minor leagues, teams are going to try to pitch in, but they can't execute it, right? Yeah. So as he's coming up through the minor leagues, he never had to build his swing to hit that fastball up and in, because um, guy would try it, and then you throw it middle, and you throw a fastball middle to Jay Hay, it's going six hundred feet, yeah. right? He's yanking that thing. But when he got to the big leagues, it, it took a year for teams to figure that out. And then we started playing the Phillies, and the catcher would set up. Uh, Carlos Ruiz would just set up inside for three days in a row. And and they would uh-huh. kind of 
they kind of toy with him with some mistakes away and stuff like that, but then they go right back up and in. And the thing about Jay Hay is he's such a great competitor. He would get yeah. one mistake and he'd lace it into left center or crush yeah. it. Uh, he's just he's a gamer, yeah. man, and it's yeah. not it's not on him. It's just the way his swing was laid out is that he's had right. to battle that hole his right. entire career now. Um, right. But those are the type of things that can happen where a guy can come up through the minor leagues and just look unpitchable. Or even when Riley yeah. came up, you know, yeah. team teams could have in the minor leagues could have said he struggles with the slider, right? Yeah. And they they throw slider, 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 and then their guy that's a non prospect or whatever, or, or yeah. a guy that's coming up through the minor leagues and learning how to pitch, hangs a slider. Riley hits it five hundred feet and he's a hero. Yeah. You know, once you get to the big leagues, you'll get to a point where guys can execute. Yeah, Every throw pitch. those sliders, yeah. right? They can continually throw that slider and not make that mistake, and yeah. And I think that's where a guy can get exposed. So if your scouts see that hole in a swing, even yeah. if it's not getting exposed in the minor leagues, and the numbers are there, you got to have scouts that can recognize that and say, yeah. "Look, when yeah. he gets to this level and they can ex- execute this pitch consistently, he's not going to hit." So we got to max out on this prospect now. And you make a trade that looks bad, and then yeah. three, four years later, everyone says, "Oh shit, that wasn't such a bad yeah. trade." That's yeah, a great point, man. It's like when you hear all these people, they think the simple solution when a guy like Austin Riley struggles or whoever, it's always send him back to AAA and have him work on hitting the slider. It's like, no. They can't make the pitch there. <laughs> yeah. If the guy can throw sliders past Austin Riley, he's going to be in the major leagues. You know? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a, you have to get to a certain level where you get exposed and, and have yeah. to make that adjustment. And he, he's not, it doesn't do a guy any good to go to a league where they hang one out of four sliders. Yeah. Because yeah, he'll crush exactly. it. You know, he has to be in a league where he's going to see 12 sliders that are either down and yeah. away for a strike or off the plate away. And he, that's where he's going to learn. And that's the level he's got to compete at to make the adjustment and figure it out. So it's, it's hard to have. But in the big leagues, you're trying to win, so that's that's kind of why these rebuilding windows have benefited teams, yeah, because they've right, been able right. to let guys practice big league baseball. Yeah, man, it's like yeah, and if he's having trouble catching up with a fastball, maybe you send him down to AAA and have him work on that. But yeah, it's for the most part, it just doesn't work to say have him go down to AAA and work on his swing. It's like uh, he can rake against AAA pitching; that's not a problem. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's like what you said too. Uh, it points to the value that scouts are always going to have in this game. I mean, they've gotten away from they should from having as many scouts and do a lot of their advanced work now with video. But there's always going to be a place for scouts to there see always shit be. like that. You know, yeah. yeah. So anyway, Alex said, uh, you know, regarding the trading of prospects or whatever that he said. Uh, uh, his quote that kind of summed it up was, "I don't think it's. Uh, I don't know that it's fair to compare anyone." To, uh, to Acuna, to anyone else. Look, we like a lot of our young players, but we're open-minded. I don't think you ever want to close any doors on any trades. Generally speaking, you don't like to go into talks unwilling to talk about anybody. Some guys are harder to move than others, but you'd rather keep open lines and see if they lead to some type of conversation. So I think that ty- uh, philosophy is going to become relevant this offseason because I have a feeling the Braves are going to have to make at least feel one of the, at least one of their priority needs with a trade. Because they need a third I mean, baseman, they need a catcher, and they need at least one starter. If you could get JD on a on a some kind of realistic contract yeah. trade for Lindor, oh my god! And, and then to you, me, that's then you the find, ideal scenario. And you 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 know, if you wanted Kluber too, and you could you could package Lindor and Kluber, it's yeah. man, you could you could really put yourself in a position where you feel like you know we got a year or two here where we sh- the playoffs is a crapshoot, but. You know, it'd be it'd be a shame if this window goes by and you don't do something a little risky. You know, I, I even and you could do this to me without even uh, uh, 
having a big payroll increase, you could you could uh, trade for Lindor. You know, you give up a lot for him. You get him. But you could trade for Lindor, sign either Donaldson, or if he's too expensive, sign Mustakas. Hey, Mustakas is still good. He's a really good player. If you could sign him and trade for Lindor and then sign like Bumgarner, you give up a draft pick to sign Bumgarner, but he's also going to be affordable. If you can get him for $20, 22000000 million a year for a two-year deal, uh, you you've all of a sudden have become a very good team. You've you've gotten a lot better in the offseason if you can do that to me. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then you got you could always add another guy too, you know. There's guys like uh, Cole Hamels out there that aren't going to cost you a draft pick. No, he's not an ace anymore, but if you could add two veterans to the rotation to go with Soroka, Freed, and Fulty, you know, or Nuke if he's well, taking back the rotation. For me Soroka's an ace. For, oh, yeah. I, I think he's, he's taking that step. He's an ace. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, you, if you got Garrett Cole or something, and you got two aces, but I don't, I yeah, don't, but you don't see, have think to that. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's not realistic. And which, I don't think by the way, Soroka, I think Soroka should have got a lot more uh, rookie of the year consideration than he really did, just based I know, on the balls Baggerly flying out took of the park, a beating. But... My, my my buddy Andrew Bagley took a beating, <laughs> but there were a lot of people that agreed with him that really know baseball that said. He made a really good case, so and 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 there were other guys like J.J. Cooper from Baseball America said he was leaning toward voting for if he'd have had that uh, voted in that category, he would have probably voted for uh, Soroka too. So, yeah, I agree. The with you. Homers are just too sexy, I guess. But did, yeah. what he did this year, um, man, crazy, shouldn't be overlooked. So hey, the only affordable free agent who might come close to replacing uh, Donaldson's production, Donaldson had thirty-seven homers, ninety-four ribbies, nine hundred OPS last year. To me, the only affordable free agent out there that could come close to to uh, replacing that would probably be Mustakas. He's 31, a few years younger than J.D. He had 35 homers, 87 ribbies, and an 845 OPS in an all-star season with Milwaukee last year. He's projected by MLB trade rumors to get a two-year deal worth $20 million this winter. I think Mustakas should get more than that. But if you can get him for two years, $20 million or $25 million, that to me is a hell of a deal for Mike Mustakas. And that's about – even at $25 million for two years, you're talking about probably what J.D.'s going to command per year in a two- or three-year deal. He's been and the one guy Boris can't get paid. <laughs> you know, yeah, I don't understand uh, it, why Mustakis doesn't get more. He keeps hitting 35 homers and getting a one-year deal. Man, uh, yeah. Th- that's a, not a bad fallback plan if they can't sign J.D. No. And even though J.D. enjoyed his Atlanta time, he really liked to, especially when the crowd came around to him after that first month or two, liked his teammates a lot. Like we said, this is JD's last big contract, probably, and I don't expect him or or think that he should take a hometown discount to stay. Not if it's significant. Yeah, a couple million a year less to stay here if you like it. Yeah, that's one thing. But you don't take a huge discount two or three years less, two years less to stay in Atlanta. Well, it's funny because you never see teams giving guys hometown bonuses. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we'll throw in an extra year and twenty million because you've been here the whole time. Yeah, you know, oh, but the players are always. Watch. There's always expected to get like a yep. you know hometown yep. discount. How about we start throwing some hometown bonuses around? Yeah, staying with us for, through the through <laughs> the tough times. I'll see that times. happening. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, here, Freddie. Here's an extra ten million for staying with us through some tough times. <laughs> here's forty mil, Freddie. Thanks for grinding out that rebuild. It's probably not coming. <laughs> uh, yeah, they're gonna have to go a little deeper into wallet than they than they're comfortable with at sign JD. I think it'd be worth it, but we'll see. Uh, and obviously the only other high-level free agent third baseman is Anthony Rendon, and the Braves are not going to go $250, 300000000 for seven or eight years to sign him. So it's just not where, where they are. 
It's not how they look at uh, building teams. So they don't have any, at least so far, I've seen no inclination whatsoever for them to de- deep into those uh, deepest of free agent waters to get a Rendon or a Garrett Cole or Steven Strasburg. So that's yeah, why you're my main you're my main state. source for this information anyway. But I, you know, I feel like with building the battery and a new stadium and everything like that, you know, the cash could probably be there to make a move like that. Yeah, it'd if be, they wanted it, to do it. it that sent a message to the fans. That'd be that'd be something yeah. that would I think fire a lot of people up if you signed a Rendon or a Garrett Cole. But yeah. you said that's just you know you said that's not their their way of operating for you know a while. So I mean I pretty much trust that. You could change your modus operandi at any point, but so far I've seen no connection for them to do that. So right. Hey, one one other thing, Ozzy, Ozzy, oi, oi, oi! How about our boy <laughs> Peter Boylan, man? <laughs> How's he even playing? What is this this tournament he's playing in over there? Australia, for those who might not have seen the news, stunned the U.S. 2-1 to one in the WBSC Premier 12 uh, Super Round in Japan last night. The U.S. is now 1-3. So they're in danger of not, uh, from what I understand, they're playing for a spot in the Olympics, the Tokyo Olympics 2020. This is like a qualifying tournament in a way. If you're the top uh, uh, team from the Americas, you can secure a spot in that. Well, the U.S. right now does not is not putting themselves in position to do that. Meanwhile, Moylan, when we had him on, remember I kind of laughed about him in the thing, and he said the Aussies taking the, the the attitude of why not us? And so far, they're killing people. <laughs> they're doing it, man. If this tournament is the Premier Twelve that features the twelve highest ranked national teams in the world. It's the second of these tournaments that they've had. Uh, the Braves, uh, the Braves, te- uh, the Braves team, the U.S. team doesn't have any people that are on current forty-man uh, rosters. It's got some prospects, some uh, has-beens and never-wers, but there's some good players. Drew Waters, the, the guy we talked about, Braves prospect. He's not on the forty-man, but he's on this team, and he hit a homer in the, the November second game. The Braves beat the Netherlands 9-0 in their opening game in Guadalajara, Mexico. He hit the he got the story, scoring started with a first inning homer. But the U.S. has struggled since that that win. They uh, they haven't won any games in Australia. Moylo, man, they are. Uh, Mo- can you imagine if Moylan gets to pitch in the Olympics? <laughs> How great would that be? How I can't awesome imagine now his arm's still attached. I, <laughs> I bet if you did an MRI on his uh, shoulder, it would just it would just still like you know paper clips and and string and all kinds of duct tape and bullshit in there just to keep that thing on because I have no clue how the guy's still throwing a ball. He's had every surgery, ripped everything apart. He's had back surgeries, major back <laughs> surgeries. Just, he's yeah. just he doesn't care. He just keeps rolling. Good for him. You think that Aussie team is consuming a little brew between games? Maybe oh, a couple of brews. I bet. Well, I can tell you one thing: if, if, Moilo's the life of that party. Oh the, yeah, you know, oh, absolutely. Some about video that guy, him, man. Every that day video of him running. Yeah, <laughs> did you see that's, the video? That, that's all day long. That's I don't know if people understand that, but this guy shows up at the clubhouse <laughs> yeah. and he's doing the equivalent of that run that that was yeah. on the internet the or whatever. Cup run. Yeah, that starts the moment he walks into the clubhouse. You're dealing with that guy the entire day. It never stops. He's always in that mode. It's it's pretty incredible. Yeah. But he's always it's great. on, man. He is it's hilarious because it, it everywhere just, he it goes, never ends. And, you know, if you had a coworker like that or somebody like that in your office, it's, it's it, it makes the day go by yeah. so much faster when guys like that are around. They're probably having a lot of fun with him on their team. He was in KC for two years, and he struggled part of the time there. The fans, the teammates absolutely loved him there. 
Everybody loves he bought Moyo. The, he bought the really expensive coffee maker and had it because he hated the coffee they had in the clubhouse day one. He's like, this coffee sucks. So he got like this really extravagant <laughs> coffee espresso maker. So they were treated like his time there. They drank the best coffee, lattes, espresso, everything. Uh, and there was a uh, there was a, uh, a restaurant, a coffee shop in a, in uh, Kansas City that named a uh, drink after him. Uh, yeah. That's who he is. He's just, he has that impact. He's never been in a room and people didn't know he was in the room. It's, it's immediate. I mean, he makes an impact every room he walks into. Well, I don't usually pull for the U.S. to get beat, but in this case, I'm happy they lost to, to Moilo in they Australia. They lost to Moilo. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so that's it. All right. Well, we got another day or two here in, uh, in Phoenix, fabulous Phoenix, before uh, heading home. Uh, not a whole lot usually happens at the GM meetings. It's more laying the foundation, the groundwork for future trades. But sometimes stuff does happen here. I mean, previous regimes, this is where Dan Ugla was acquired. The Braves made that trade. It's also where uh, on the last day when we left the GM meetings a few years ago, it's where Copy pulled the trade and traded Andrelton Simmons to the Angels. So mm. Braves fans, this is where you go, okay, let's uh, let's not do it and get it carried away with any deals like that, all right? So. But Alex isn't that type of guy to really pull the string on a do anything, uh, you know, a spur of the moment that's not really well thought out. So I would think it'd be more doing the doing the doing the research on some trades that could happen down the line, or some talking to some agents and getting some you know, figuring out where they stand on these things. So, uh, but that's what's going on here. So, when are you heading back home from uh, Hawaii? Today. Oh, yeah, this four last o'clock day. Today. Oh, yeah. this is the sad day, man. Not really. We've been here for for 10, 11 days. I'm, oh, that's I'm ready long. to get yeah. back. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, my, my three trips to Hawaii, I never was there more than six days. So when I left, I was always like, ah, I could use a, a couple more days to do the shit we wanted to do. But you've been there long enough to do everything, right? No, it's been awesome. I took my boy on two fishing charters and it's just a, Oh. I can't. I he can't be happier. I mean, he's just flying <laughs> around the boat, freaking out every time we catch a fish. The people on the boat loved him. They were nice to him. So yeah, I mean, it's memories I'll have forever for sure. But it, yeah, I'll, I'm ready to get home and get back to get back to normal life and stop living out of a suitcase and eating yeah. room service and stuff. Did he get to see some whales and stuff on the boat? Oh yeah, we saw dolphins. The oh, we saw about amazing? 80 80 dolphins followed our boat for like three oh, four minutes. School of we, dolphins. We caught, man, I caught a fish that I had to reel up for six, seven minutes. And I mean, drenched in sweat. Yeah. I was dying, man. It was 400 <laughs> feet down. I think it was about 20, 30 pound fish and it was fighting hard. And I got it 10 feet from the surface and he starts freaking out and he's watching it and he's, he wants to see the fish. And a shark comes up and just eats it off my, off my, <laughs> that's hook. awesome. You saw that it happen? Was, yeah, and then the shark got hooked to my uh, line, and I had to fight the shark because we were trying to get – the dude running the, the boat didn't want to lose the lure, so we had to fight the shark and pull him oh, into the cool. boat and then unhook him. So Mac just – and he loves fish. He'll fish for eight hours a day. Sometimes we don't even catch anything. So this was like <laughs> – he had the time of his life. Yeah, so we've a lot of good memories on this trip. That's but, terrific. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll talk again on uh, the normal day next Tuesday. And uh, who knows? There might be some things to talk about between now and then. We'll and see. the uh, rookie of the year. Rookie of the year is tonight, by the way. And I'm expecting Soroka to be top three for sure. Or not rookie of the year. I'm sorry. Cy Young. Cy, Cy Young. Young. Yeah. Yeah. See if he gets and it. And I had Soroka. We'll, well, we'll, we'll wait to see where the – because you can look on the BBWA site and see where everybody voted. But I had Soroka uh, top five. So we'll see. <laughs> 
He's cool. not going to win, obviously. He's not going to finish top no. three, but I, I hope he finishes top five. So There's going to be a whole lot more opportunities for Soroka to finish in the top yeah, three. He's got, time. Young. He's, I have, he's yeah, got plenty he's of time. I'll I, I go out on a limb and say he's going to win one at some point in his career. I really think so. He, I think so, too. All right, man. Well, good talk. We'll, uh, we'll talk again in a week. This is 755 is real, and we are out. Yeah.